in the new year, we always have these, if you ever get a New Year's card, you never get a duddy New Year's card, you know, you never get a New Year's card that says, you know, I hope you barely make it by this year, you know that, you never get anything like that, they're always optimistic, they're always, you know, we wish you health and prosperity and success. I, I, I took this from Shutterfly, here's a Shutterfly one, it says, wishing every day of the new year to be filled with success, happiness, and prosperity for you, happy new year. That's the way we get New Year's cards, you know, something that really says we, we wish the best for you. And I think because people in the church world have thought that prosperity is a, a bad thing, that we've just put it on the shelf and said, I'm just going to disregard it, which would be a grave mistake. Please hear me, that would be a grave mistake, because we are, of all people on planet Earth, we believers should prosper because we should know how to handle our prosperity with purpose. With purpose. Not just to play it away, but to use it for the kingdom, use it for others and, and ourselves. God doesn't mind that you drive a decent car or take a nice vacation, but, but it's more than just building my own kingdom. And so, in the Bible, I think the Bible has, to me, one of the most beautiful uh, New Year's cards and, and a, a blessing. But before I tell you what it is, I, I want you to notice do you believe the Bible? See, that, that's, sometimes people go, well, you know, we'll say that, but then you, the verse I'm getting ready to read, you may say, well, that was just, uh, you know, somebody saying hello or hi, because it's a greeting. But I believe that what the seasoned veteran minister Paul told his young trainee Timothy is true, that the word of God is God-breathed. It's inspired by God, and it trains us and equips us and teaches us. I also believe that Jesus was telling the truth when he said, my words are spirit and they are truth. In fact, he said, I just want you to know there's not going to be a dotted I or cross T that's not going to be effective in my word until everything is fulfilled. So there's this power in the word of God. And so it's inspired. So I believe the hellos in the Bible are inspired. I believe the goodbyes are inspired. I believe when he says, hey, you guys need to straighten up and behave yourselves, that was inspired. You know, it teaches something. Or kudos and, and, and applause to you guys because you did a great job. I think all of that's inspired by God. God says it is. It's his word. It's forever settled in heaven. Well, John starts off in 3 John with a greeting. And it's a powerful greeting. And it makes for a great New Year's card, but it also makes for a great declaration. I don't care if it's June 10th it works, you know, it's a great one. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper. Now, this, I'm just reading you the Bible, and, and I don't know that anybody here is scared to hear the word prosperity, but some people are because it, it does get taught out of balance. It does get taught wrong and incorrectly, but we want to teach it right. And so it says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in what? Do you think God meant that? I think he did too. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things. Hmm. Maybe this year you said, I'm going to learn to play the piano. You think God wants you to prosper in that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. In all things. And be what? In health. Now I can tell you, because all of us have been sick at some point in our life, being healthy is better than being sick. We, we want health. Be in health just as your soul prospers. It's a beautiful, all-encompassing verse inspired by the Holy Spirit to you. I want you to prosper in everything. 
I want you to be healthy. I want your soul, your spiritual life, to prosper and be successful. This isn't just where John was getting ready to write, and he thought, okay, let's see. Um, hey, y'all. No, that don't sound good. Let's see. How about the howdy folks? No, let's see. Oh, I got one. Uh, beloved, I pray. No, the Holy Spirit inspired this introduction in this, in this book of the Bible written by John. And so I want you to embrace this truth. It's very important that we get this in our hearts and in our spirits because it's so important that we have a, a heart of faith and a heart of, of belief. So I want you to know that for the next several weeks in January, I'm going to come up here and do my very best to teach you what the scriptures say about prosperity, what the scripture says about genuine biblical success, not just what the world thinks about success. See, a lot of people tell you, well, you know, success is that everybody is Rolls Royce rich. That's not success. The, the scripture teaches what success is, and we'll, we'll deal with that. But anything you can't preach around the world is not a good teaching. But we, we'll get to what prosperity really is, and it can be taught anywhere around the world. And so we want to grab a hold of this. And so every week I'm going to come, and I'm going to talk to you what the scriptures say about prosperity. And guess what? I'm going to do it for free. Okay? You know, I'm not going to charge anything. There's not going to be special admission price. It's not going to be, hey, I'll tell you what, if you really want this for 1995, you know, none of that. It's free. You can, you can get online and listen to it for free. You can send me an email, and I will answer that. I'll answer any email for $10. Uh, you can send, no, I'll answer any email for free. You can, I'll, I'll do my best to answer. You can give this message away to people online for free. You get the idea? There's no, there's no not, not trying to make money off this. I want you to prosper. I want you to be in health. I want your soul to prosper. I want you to be healthy spiritually too. And the word of God wants that. God wants that for us. But some of the critical keys to it are faith and belief. Faith and belief. See, if you've been taught all your life that, oh no, man, prospering is not for Christians. We're all supposed to be poor and broke and barely get by. Well, there's been times where I was poor and broke and barely got by, but I'll tell you what, I didn't want to stay there. You know, people say, well, but the Bible says we should be content in all things. Yeah, when I was poor and broke and had nothing, I, for that moment, was content. I was content in Jesus. But I didn't want to stay there. If you came to me and said I'm unemployed, I wouldn't say, well, just, you know, that's where you need to stay. That must be where God wants you. I'd say, hey, you know what? We're going to believe God for you to get a good job. So you say, I, where, this is where I'm at today, but this isn't where I want to stay. And so we want to keep growing in God. So if you love God, if you have a love for the Lord and a heart after God, here's what can hinder you in prospering is if you've been taught it's sinful to prosper. Because if I love the Lord and I've been taught to trust God for prosperity is sinful, then I'm never going to trust God for it because I wouldn't want to displease God like that. I would say, I, I love God too much to do something that wouldn't please him. Well, God has no problem with you being prosperous. I also want you to know, I don't care if you're the most prosperous person on planet Earth. You're poor compared to God. I just want you to know that. He, you're not, he, he's never looked at your bank account and went, Woo, that's impressive. No, never. He, he's, he's got it all. So, the sad thing is, is that statistically speaking, the most generous people are not the richest people. Now, there are rich people who are super generous, so I'm not 
pigeonholing everybody, but I'm just saying, statistically speaking, the most generous people in the United States of America make between twenty dollars and $40,000 a year. And, and God, God looks at percentages, not at amounts. For instance, daydream with me. For, you're going to like this daydream. Daydream with me for a minute that you made $10 million last week. Pretty good daydream so far, isn't it? Okay, so you made $10 million last week. And so you decide, you know what? <clears throat> I'm going to write out a check to the church today. And you put in the offering $100,000. I don't know about you. I think that's a big chunk of money. But somebody else, they and their spouse worked all week long, and they made 800 gross dollars, and they put $200 in the offering plate. Guess what God says? They outgave the other person. The person made $10 million, gave 1% of that profit, and the people that made $800 gross gave 25% of their gross income in that gift. And so Jesus would say, they outgave the $100,000 check. Hmm. Because God always looks at percentages, which absolutely is fair, by the way. Wouldn't it be awful if he said, hey, you're not going to please God unless you can write a $100,000 check. But Jesus was outside the temple one day, and this is what the Bible says. He was observing and critiquing their giving. Now, how would you like that? Since, since the COVID thing hit, we quit passing a bag. And there's little baskets back there that I always forget to mention that that's where we take up our offering as well as online. What would you think if I was back there by the basket as you gave and I went, okay. Uh, Jesus was critiquing their giving. And this lady came up and she had two mites, which in our world we call them two pennies. She put two pennies in the offering. And people have been going by there putting in bags and bags of large sums of money. And Jesus said, people have been giving out of their abundance and out of their prosperity. She gave out of her need, and she gave all that she had. She outgave everybody else. Now, I know in the world we go, okay, if I was trying to pay the bills, I'd rather have a $100,000 check than two pennies. But the Lord says she outgave them. She outgave them. So, first of all, I want you to get out of your mind that one day when I can write a big check, whoo, I'm really going to be generous. No, generosity starts in your spirit when you have next to nothing. And you begin to practice generosity. That gal gave everything she had. So it's percentages, not amount. And so our goal today is to look at Scripture and discover what God's will is for his people and generate the faith and belief that it is God's will for you to prosper for you to be blessed. Now again, I always want to give a quick definition of what, how I define prosperity. Prosperity is having more than enough so you've taken care of your own needs and you can take care of the kingdom and you can take care of others. That's prosperity. That's prosperity. It's not a certain dollar figure. It's not what you're driving or what you're wearing or what kind of vacation you take. Can, do you have more than enough? My parents always had more than enough. Now, I know people like to debate on this, but I'm just telling you my story. My parents were dedicated tithers. I thought we were rich. You've probably heard me tell the story. I'm off in college. I'm in a sociology class. They say, go back and, first of all, it says, what, what was your socioeconomical uh, upbringing? I put upper middle class. I went back and found out what my parents actually made, and we were middle lower class economically. I thought, why do we always have more than enough? Because my parents always tithed. 
And that's just, that was their baseline. They always gave so much more than that over top of that as well. God rewarded them. Now, their checks wouldn't have necessarily been big, but we always had more than enough. So, I'm not preaching that you need to have a Rolls Royce. I don't, even, I don't even know if Rolls Royces are popular anymore. I mean, anybody here have one? See, they're not even popular anymore. No one here even has one, so they must not even be popular. But that used to be the, the expensive car. And so I'm not talking that. I'm talking that we have more than enough so we can be a blessing to ourselves, our family, our, the kingdom of God, and those around us. But does God really want us to prosper? Well, they claim that the best prediction of future behavior is past behavior. And so we're going to look at God's past and future behavior. God created Adam and Eve, and he put them where? The Garden of Eden. Was the Garden of Eden a barely-get-by clunky place? No, it was lush. It was prosperous. It was abundant. It overflowed with good stuff. That's where God put them. Now, it would seem to me, if God was trying to teach us, I really don't want you to have anything, he would like put them, you know, in a desert with a little barely-get-by oasis over there. But no, he puts them in the midst of a garden of prosperity and abundance. Well, then people sin. The people of Israel end up, God's chosen people, end up in slavery in Egypt, and then God delivers them with a mighty hand. And he says, I'm going to take you out of slavery. I'm going to take you out of barely-get-by land. And I'm going to take you into, does anybody remember what was called where he was taking them? To the promised land. The promised land. Do you remember about the promised land? It was a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a land where there's abundance of, of fruit. It's a land where there's water and streams and brooks. It's a land that said, you're going to enjoy vineyards you never planted. You're going to enjoy homes you never built. It's a, it's a land of prosperity. The the promised land. Now, again, wouldn't it be a smart idea if God said, really, I don't want you to have anything? That he would say, I'm going to take you out of Egypt because I don't want you to be slaves in Egypt, but I'm going to put you in a barely get-by place. But he didn't. He said, I'm going to take you to a land of prosperity and abundance. Now, my brother went on to be with the Lord on January 1st. Did he go to someplace clunky? Did he go to a run-down motel somewhere that, you know, bed bugs and roaches and all that. No, he didn't. He went to heaven. Streets of gold. Prosperity, abundance. You know, we think we're pretty cool because you'll watch this. We'll plant winter wheat in a field and we'll harvest it and then we'll come back in behind it with a soybean crop and we'll get two crops in a year. I think that's pretty cool too. I say, good job. That don't compare to heaven. The fruit trees in heaven bear a harvest every month. There's 12 a year of them. And if God said he's going to make, you know, 12 a day, it could happen. There's no limits. There's no, there's no lack. It's all abundance. God's going to put us in a spacious, incredible, wonderful place. I never heard this before, but Pastor Tyke said it in, in um, my uh, brother's funeral service. Uh, I do know that the city of God is a cubit. And it's like 1,500 miles wide, long, and tall. Now, I haven't done the math on it. He hadn't either, so I'm just, this could be wrong, but this is what he said. If 20 billion people were in heaven, if you take the measurements of the city, <clears throat> every person would have 75 acres to themselves. That's pretty impressive. I thought that's pretty big. God's got some great plans for us. 
God doesn't have any lack in him. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I know some people say, well, it's, it's the Old Testament. I get that, but we have a New Testament verse that says the Old Testament is, pay attention to it because it is, uh, it tells us stories that we learn from and grow from and we get instruction from. And also, if you just say, I still don't like it, go to James chapter 1 and you'll find a parallel to these verses in James chapter 1. So here it is, Deuteronomy 8. Let's see what God says. I'm going to see if I can talk you in to prospering this year. I'm going to see if I can talk you in to believing that God wants to bless you. Just from the Bible. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 18. Not reading all the 18 verses, but we'll bounce around through it. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and what? Increase. Increase. So that you may live and increase. So you may live and increase. And may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on an oath to your ancestors. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a what kind of land? A land with brooks, streams, deep springs, gushing out into the valley and hills. A land with weed and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. A land where the bread will not be scarce. In other words, you'll have plenty to eat. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack what? Nothing. Nothing. So, here's the deal. According to God, they were only going to lack one thing. What was it? Nothing. When you looked at everything, you said, you know, the only thing I don't have is nothing. Woo, that's nice. I'm going to take you to a place where you're going to lack nothing. It's kind of an interesting phrase when you think about it. You're going to lack nothing. That's the only thing you're going to lack is nothing. The land where the rocks are iron, you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, here's your job. You ready? Man, God's an ogre. After all this, this is what he's asking of you. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God. So, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God. Don't crawl through glass on your hands and knees. Just praise the Lord your God. Why? For the good land he has given you. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied... Now, look, look, listen to what's going to happen very matter-of-factly if you go after God. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold does what? Increases. And all you have is what? multiplied. All you have is what? Multiplied. Then your heart will become proud. This is what will happen if you forget the Lord. Then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Now every now and then I'll get in a conversation with somebody and they're generally unbelievers and we talk about the, you know, the hand of God, the blessing of God. And God well, hey, and they'll explain to me why everything they have is theirs, not God's. They're the ones that went to school. They're the ones that got the good grades. They're the ones that went to college. They're the ones that amassed the college debt. They're the ones that paid off their college debt. They're the ones that worked hard. They're the ones that got promotions. They're the ones that got all this. God didn't do any of this. I did it all. But I want you to know something, and I think all of you here know this. You, your next breath, is, it, it comes from him. That the only reason you could do that is God gave you brain cells that could fire, that you could learn that information, that you could grow, that you could develop. 
it's, he gave you that. So he gave you the ability. So it comes from him. But you may say the power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce what? Wealth. It's the Lord who gives you the ability to produce wealth. I want to remind us because we always think that we're not rich, it's the person one level above us. You know what I mean? But I would say all of us here will qualify for being rich. We have more than enough. So what are we going to do with that? And should we increase? Absolutely. Now let's look at this. First of all, I love the King James Bible. I cut my teeth on the King James Bible. What I don't love about the King James Bible is how most of us don't interpret 1600 English well. So the King James says it like this, For it is the Lord thy God that giveth thee the power to obtain wealth, that he may establish his covenant on the earth. Now that's a great translation. There's nothing wrong with the translation. But here's how I've heard many, many preachers interpret that verse. Here's what happens. God wants to prosper you so you can make money, so you can fund the gospel to go around the world, which would be a nice thing, but that's not what that verse is saying. Do I think we should do that for money? Absolutely. Is that what this verse is saying? No. The verse is saying this, For it is the Lord thy God that gives you the power to obtain wealth, that he might establish his covenant on the earth, which he swore to your forefathers. That's how the King James says. So let me interpret that. Well, we can look at it in this. It says, But remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors. So I want to explain what that means. What it means is this. is God said one day, he had his people around, he said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. He said, here's my covenant with you. With blessing, I will bless you. And with multiplying, I will multiply you. That's a covenant I'm making with you, a legal binding agreement. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to increase you. I'm going to multiply you. I've now made a covenant with you. I made that covenant with your ancestors and your forefathers. And so I'm going to give you the power to obtain wealth and get wealth. Why? Because I made a promise... I made a covenant, I'm going to establish this covenant, I'm going to confirm this covenant, I'm going to ratify this covenant, and the only way I know to ratify the covenant that you'll be blessed and multiplied is if I help you. And so I'm going to give you the ability to produce wealth because I made a promise to your ancestors. I made a covenant, and this is my covenant. With blessing I will bless thee. And with multiplying, I will multiply thee. He made a covenant. And so the reason he's given us the power to obtain wealth is to establish his covenant. Does does that make sense? Are you following me? In other words, I'm going to confirm. I'm going to bring to pass what I said I was going to bring to pass. I'm going to bless you and multiply you. In order to do that, I mean, he wouldn't say this, but he probably looks at us and said, you know, they're dumber than a box of rocks. He said, the only way I'm going to be able to help them do this, I'm going to have to give them the ability to produce wealth. Now, God doesn't ever talk to us like that, but I think you might agree that compared to how brilliant he is, we're lacking a few things. So God says, I'm going to bless you and give you the ability to increase because I promised I would. Now, again, people love. I don't know why we love to do this. We love to talk ourselves out of blessings. Well, I don't know, brother. That's just, that's just Old Testament. and that's just Well, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he didn't change his mind. In Hebrews 8, 6, it says, But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received, 
is as superior to theirs, he's talking about the high priests of the Old Testament, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. Now, first of all, and I even hate to say it like this because it sounds like I'm saying it's no big deal when it's a huge deal, but if all the new covenant was was salvation by grace through faith and nothing more, it's, it's better, okay? But it has all the benefits and more, better benefits. It doesn't seem like, you ever, you ever get this, you go to buy something and you're realizing, you especially notice it, this in the last five years, they're not taking the prices down a lot of stuff, they're just making everything smaller. You know what I mean? You know, you, you, you go to get that burger that used to be like this and it's like a mini and it's like, oh, it's the same price, but you know, it's... You used to get a cupcake this big, now you get one that big for the same price. You ever notice that? The potato chip bag's still the same size, but you open it up and you go, okay, down in there, I think I can find a chip in there, you know, it's like, and, and but God's covenants aren't like that. Hey, the bag still looks the same. I mean, I took out about 80% of the stuff, but it's still a better covenant. No, it's got all of it more. It's got all of it and more in Jesus, in the Lord. So, now remember, I'm not teaching everyone's going to have a Rolls Royce, private jet, whatever, but I am teaching there's a new and better covenant in Jesus, and all the blessings of the old covenant are still ours, and that, now here's the tough thing, listen to me, we don't want to forget God, because you can forget God, and you can fall in love with stuff and with things, and if, if you walk out the door today, and I gave you a spirit of greed and materialism, I failed at my job today, because that's not what I want you to have. We don't want to be materialistic and greedy. You know one of the number one ways to kill greed and materialism? You're not going to like it, but I'm going to tell you what it is. Give. Give. There was a couple, young couple in the church many years ago. Darlene was talking to them. They were barely making ends meet. Darlene said, the Lord's going to prosper you guys. You're faithful to God. You, you, you're going after God. You're going to prosper and increase. And, and, and one day, you're going to go to write a check, and you're going to go, I don't know about that. So that'll never happen to us. No way. We're never going to be like that. A few years went by. What Darlene said, which is what the word says is true. They were going after God. They were prospering. They were increasing. And they came up to Darlene and said, it happened. We got ready to write a tithe check. And we went, whoo, we could do a lot of stuff with that money. And said they remembered her words like, be careful. One day. Now, now what would be a good idea is if the Lord would whisper in their ear, I can take you back to where you used to be. No, that's fine. We'll just write that out right here. We're, we're all good. We're all good. And they said it happened. We saw that happen in our heart where we went, that's a lot of stuff. Because you may be given $10 and it's a sacrificial gift. And I'm not diminishing that at all. Because I'm telling you there are times when $2 was all I had and it was sacrificial. But you might be given $10 and you're saying to yourself, well, it's not like I can do a whole lot of $10 anyway. But if God increases you and all of a sudden it's $100, you go, hmm, $100? What if it becomes 500 Now I know some of you are saying, yeah, let it happen. But I'm telling you, you'll have to be careful, or you'll go, ooh, I don't know anymore. No, just keep being generous. God will keep increasing you. And by the way, it's still just a percentage. You're not given any more. You're not given any more. You're just given the same percentage you were. Although I'm going to tell you something that happened to me, and I was going to use it in a different message, but it just came across my mind because it's a percentage. Um, I still remember it so clearly. We lived up in the Parsonage, and I know the first part of the story is the part you're not going to believe, but it's true. I was on a treadmill, and uh, you're going, I don't know, the story sounds a little suspicious to me already. No, I was on a treadmill, 
And I was praying, and I felt like the Lord said, I want you to give to church. And by the way, I just want you to know something. When Darlene and I give, we don't go into the counting room and take the money back. You know what I'm saying? Like some people, I thought the preachers just, no. It all gets deposited. It's out of our budget forever, just like it is yours. And so I told Darlene, she's got a generous spirit too. I said, man, I felt like the Lord told us to give so much to the church every week. And she said, that's fine with me. And so then I did the math on it. It was 17% of our gross income, 17%. And I thought, that's interesting. Unbeknownst to us, we weren't trying to make anything happen, just being obedient to God. Two or three years later, we're doing our taxes, and I went, oh my goodness. What, two to three years ago was 17% of our gross income is now 10% of our gross income. I thought, isn't that funny? So I came up with a theory that I've never really preached a lot, but it's called pre-tithing. It's just you say, okay, here's how much I want to make, so I'm going to give, I'm going to give that. For some reason, God allowed that. Again, we didn't make anything happen. We never told anybody about that, like, hey, can you all help us out because we're giving sacrificially? No, God will do it. God will do it. God will do it. So we got this wonderful covenant in the Lord. And let's look at Matthew 17. Because if you're like me, sometimes you think, how can he do it? I mean, I'm not a person of influence. I don't have a... I sometimes honestly get it when a, when a minister has an audience of 10 million people. And I'm not picking on this. I'm just saying I, I, can, I like things to make logical sense. And although I believe God's extremely logical, I don't think my mind can always get around his logic. So when I see a preacher up there saying, hey, we need a million dollars for this thing, and I'm just, you know, you know, throwing that out there, I can say, well, I can see how they could get a million dollars because they've got 10 million people watching them, you know. But you and I don't have 10 million people watching us. When we're believing God for something, it's not like we have any avenue to make that thing happen. But God does. God does. He's got the ability. And so this is a great story in Matthew. It says, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked. Now, just to let you know, that was a tax that helped take care of the temple. That was above and beyond the regular giving, so it would take care of building and repairs and this and that and the other. It was a temple tax. Came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Now, I'm serious. This is my opinion from reading this. I don't think Peter had any idea whether he did or didn't. That's how I read it. But he goes, sure, yes, yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came back into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. What he's saying is, I should not be paying the temple tax. Uh, that temple's all about me and my father. It's not, it's not just like the king doesn't charge his kids taxation. He lets everybody else pay it. That's the way this is. But... So we may not cause offense. Go into the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Now remember, the tax is two drachma. You'll find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. I think it's a beautiful picture of prosperity. You have more than enough for you and for others. More than enough for you and for others. And it also shows me God can make a way where you can't figure out there's a way. Jesus, or Peter was a professional fisherman. He had caught thousands and thousands and thousands of fish in his life. I'm going to guess he never pulled a coin out of their mouth ever until this day. He throws out a line, so he's not throwing a net. He's throwing a line like you fishermen do with a rod and reel. He throws out a line, catches it, 
Oh my goodness, guess what? Four drop a coin. He pays his taxes and Jesus's. So having enough to meet your need and meet someone else's is what prosperity is. I believe Jesus had the money to pay for it. He had a treasure. He had an account. He could have paid for it, but that wasn't the point. He didn't even have to tap his own resources. He just tapped God's abundance out there. God can make a way. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know. He's always done it for us, and I don't know how. He always did it for my parents. I don't know how. Always did it for their parents. I don't know how, other than God's faithful. God's true. He has the ability to make it happen when you need it to happen. God's not limited. How can God prosper me? I don't know. I just know that he can. He can bless you. He can increase you. He can prosper you. I was telling Darlene this, because this is part of, of prospering. And by the way, I didn't catch the spirit because I, I want more. So I'm going to give more because I want to get more, which I suppose would be okay if that was it. But I told Darlene, I said, remember when we used to give a certain amount of money to help people? Because we, we like helping people beyond our giving to the church and other ministries and lots of people. And I always said, you always remember how when we were young parents with kids, it just never seemed like there's enough. I always want to help people. And so we started helping people. And the amount of money that we gave to help them was a lot of money to us. And now, it's not a lot of money to us. I told her the other day, I said, you know, we have gave that amount, particular amount of money away a few times, and we didn't even miss it. We didn't even know we gave it. It didn't even, hit, it didn't even make a dent. I said, we need to up our game. We need, we need to, now we can give that and not feel it. We've got to figure out the next level where we can give and feel it. There's something about getting a little skin in the game and something about feeling it. So uh, she said, okay, how much do you think? And I said, I think this. And she went, I think less. No, she didn't. She never liked that. Uh, but what, what is it? What, and you're giving. And that's, I want to say this. It's not, I, I need to match what Tracy does, or what somebody else does. No way, that's, that's foolishness. You need to pray and ask God. Now, maybe you're here today and you're saying, wow, I'm already beyond my borders. I don't even give faithfully to the church. I don't help out of ministry. I don't help out no one. So, okay, that's cool. Start where you're at. Start where you're at. And the other warning I always give people, they always say, well, when I got lots of money. No, you start wherever you're at. You say, well, I, I could help my neighbor, but the only thing I could help them with would be 10 bucks. Well, then do it, if that's what you felt the Lord wanted you to do, is help your neighbor. Because I've told you before, Darlene and I were at a, a mission retreat, and I told her, I said, I don't, think we may have enough gas to make it back home. We're broke. And by the way, do you remember when broke meant you were really broke? Yeah. I mean, now, nowadays we'll say, well, I don't have the money for that. Uh, oh, yeah, sure, I got $10,000 over here and so much over here and my debit card's got money. No, no, I'm talking, when you were younger, when you said, we don't have any money, it meant, we don't have any money. And I said, I don't know if we got gas to get home. Somebody came up to me after that and said, I don't know why the Lord wanted me to do this, because uh, I don't know why you would need it. Because first of all, you've never heard us ever say, oh, we could really use some help financially or something. So we never played that card. We always had trust God. And they gave me a $20 bill. And to them, they thought, what's 20 bucks? You know what 20 bucks to me was? Gas in the, in the tank and maybe a burger on the way home. You know, it was, it was and I let them know that was a godsend. So you may say, well, I got five bucks. That, that may be it. That may be all. Just you do whatever you can, when you can, where you can. 
and God will bless you. Now, let's look at this last verse here. 2 Corinthians 9.11. The NIV updated itself in the early 2000s, and it changed the way this was worded. It used to be worded like this. <clears throat> you will be made rich in every way. I like that. Enriched is a great translation. And for, by the way, when, when, if you say to yourself, because you may be a King James lover here today, first of all, you're talking to a King James lover right here. But you may say, that's the problem with modern Bibles. They're updating them all the time. I promise you, you go get a 1600 King James Bible and you will not even be able to read it. You will, the way they spelled words, the way you, you, you will... Your King James Bible has been upgraded many, many times over the years, rightfully so, or you would not even be able to read. You cannot believe, try to find some old 1600 English and just how they even spell words. And what, you, you won't even be able to read it. So they're updated purposefully in a good way. But they changed it to enriched. Now, I, enriched is a good thing, but when I think of enriched, I think of white bread. You know what I mean? You ever go to look at a, some white bread and it says, this has been enriched with minerals and vitamins. I think it's been stripped of everything, but anyway, uh, it's been enriched. So I, enriched doesn't have the power behind it that you'll be made rich. But it says you'll be enriched in how many ways? Every way, so that. Here's the pivotal, here's the pivotal phrase, so that. I'm going to do this so that. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be what? How often? On every occasion. I'm going to increase you. I'm going to make you rich. Why? Oh, good, because I want to upgrade everything in my life. I want to say this again. There is a time to upgrade stuff in your life. Okay? So I'm going to make you rich in every way so that you may be generous on every occasion. That you'll say, wow, I have more than enough that I can be a generous person on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Just to put that in context, what he was saying was, he was taking up an offering for poor people in Jerusalem. So he said, when you give generously, we're going to take this money, and, and through us, taking it to the poor people in Jerusalem and giving, giving it to them, that, that your generosity that we will carry to others will result in thanksgiving to God. Many people will thank God for your generosity. Now, the Strong's definition of the Greek word enriched, I just want you to see this. Here it is. It means to make rich. Do we have a slide for that? To make rich. There you go. Enriched. To make rich. Cause to abound in or enrich. All those are great translations of that. But I want to make sure you notice the goal. It was that we become generous people on every occasion. See, I, I dare us to believe. I'm serious, I dare us to believe that God truly, passionately desires for you to have a healthy, prosperous, blessed new year and that God is working on our behalf as we obey him and we put into practices things because I do believe there's results to putting things into practice. You put things into practice and then you trust God and you believe God and you find yourself increasing. There's another thing about increase. It generally comes a little at a time. It generally is not a massive windfall. So generally, the Bible talks that first the sprout breaks through the ground, and then the stalk, and then the ear, and then it's a, it's a process. But keep trusting God, and he will increase.